bum bum bottom 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 bum b
you know, not for nothing, but the RZA has a new comic book coming out, Bobby Digital and the Pit of Snakes from Z2 Comics, and we've read it, and it's crazy good. So good that we're going to be doing a proper session breakdown of the RZA and Bobby Digital here in the main feed. So pre-order that comic, you will not regret it. We also have some uh, one very cool interview in the can. Oh my gosh, yes. One also cool interview circling the can. Yes. Yes. And then we have another interview who is also in the cranny can. Yeah, and we're going to save we're going to save the one interview. Oh, really? Like the, the big interview. We'll talk about that one at the end of this episode. Ooh, but we can teaser. say that on our website, we hope you join us at comicbookcouplescounseling.com. You can find our transcript with Dave Chisholm. He's got a new book also out from Z2 Comics called Enter the Blue. That is a magical... Mm, retelling of the history of Blue Note Records, uh, along with its artists, past and future. And it's crazy gorgeous because it's Dave Chisholm. And I had a wonderful time talking with him. If you've been wondering where Comic Book Couples Counseling has been, that's where we've been. Over on our Patreon feed and over on the website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com. Please go visit both and explore. I know some of you have been going steady with us, making out with us here on the main feed. <laughs> we are inviting you to second base. Oh. Come explore our website digitally. Oh. Uh, wait, if it's digital, like, is that second base or third base? Uh, well, well, first base is kissing. And then second base is you listen to our unlocked Patreon episodes. Over the clothes. <laughs> and then... Um, third base is under the clothes. And then I guess... <laughs> I guess um, home would be what? Uh, downloading. Okay, I don't know. I <laughs> I'm feel not like a baseball person. I feel like we lost the metaphor. Whatever the case, please come explore comicbookcouplescounseling.com. We work really hard on it. And now speaking of people who do things digitally, let's invite on Angela and Sarah. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but before we bring Angela and Sarah into session, like, do we need to cover any background info that's kind of crucial to Queen of Hell? I don't know. We did include much background information in our last two episodes. Yeah, and of course, links in the show notes to those episodes covering Asgard's assassin and witch hunter Angela. This conversation on Queen of Hell is the conclusion to our Angela and Sarah conversation. So if you have not listened to parts one and two, you really should do that, right? We're doing a lot of scolding on uh, this intro. <laughs> and but a lot of plugging. Yeah, well, you know, you gotta plug yourself and those eps will give all the background info that you need regarding how Angela is in the Marvel Universe and not Spawn Town. They'll explain Sarah's angelic origin as well. They cover the Marvel event madness that is Secret Wars, as well as Neil Gaiman's 1602 universe, which I thought we were for sure done with regarding Angela and Sarah. But then Queen of Hell brings it back in a big way for the last two issues in this trade paperback. I was not expecting that at all. Well, you know what they say, Brad. What? No one expects the Faustian imposition. 
<laughs> that is a terrible joke, Lisa. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, I guess with all of that in mind, you know, Jane Foster's The Mighty Thor does appear in the back half of this storyline. And if the reader is not reading the main Thor storyline and is only reading the Angela books following along with us, they could be pretty confused as to how Jane Foster ended up as the Mighty Thor. When Thor shows up in Queen of Hell, Angela does not seem that bothered by this revelation, uh, at least not as much as I would have thought anyway. Angela is basically like, whatever. If there is one thing that Angela is, it is unflappable. I'm not even because sure. Because she doesn't have wings, get it? Uh, get it? Yeah, I get, get it. it. She's an Asgardian. I get it. Please stop. Angels. Please stop. Sorry. I'm not even sure that uh, Queen of Hell readers knew Thor was Jane Foster at this point because it was a big old mystery for a good while. But basically, in the original Sin storyline written by Jason Aaron, a cosmically roided out Nick Fury whispered in Thor Odinson's ear saying how the God Butcher was right meaning that the universe does not need gods, that they are worthless and should be eradicated. Go see this summer's blockbuster Love and Thunder for more god butchery. This sweet nothing in Odinson's ear caused serious doubt in Thor, however, and he became unworthy. Then Mjolnir found a sickly, cancer-stricken Jane Foster and deemed her worthy, and she took on the Thor mantle in the Jason Aaron Russell Dowderman run, a batch of comics that all of you should be reading if you have not read, and if you have read, you should go reread them because they are super rad. But that's really all I got, Lisa, and I think you're up. Uh, we got to talk about our love expert. Uh, who is that, and how are they helping out Angela and Sarah during this episode? Talking about worthy, this is our third and last session with our love expert, Robin Roberts. She is a six Emmy-wielding, New York Times best-selling, Peabody Award-winning co-anchor of America's number one morning show, ABC's Good Morning America. The book that we're using is Brighter by the Day, Waking Up to New Hopes and Dreams, written with collaborative writer Michelle Burford, in which Robin Roberts encourages her readers to begin their training to be more optimistic so we can Jane Foster a sustained <laughs> sense of joy in our lives as we reach our goals. I am really loving Robin Roberts. While she's not blowing my mind with the groundbreakingness of her advice, my admiration for her as a glass-ceiling-busting, optimism-preaching, genuinely good public figure has just, like, bubbled over. From the first time I saw Robin Roberts on the Oscars red carpet, I've always thought, this lady has her life together. She is so poised and cool, and now I know that it's because she is a person of intense grit, purpose, and gratitude. She has experienced so much from her slow and steady rise to morning show greatness to surviving or as she would put it, thriving, two harrowing bouts with cancer. And she uses this book as a leg up to her fans, which she calls her tribe, so they can begin living their best lives. We've already covered parts one and two of Brighter by the Day with Angela and Sarah, so all we have left is part three entitled Stronger Than You Know. Throughout this book, Robin has used her experience as an athlete to inform us how she trained her brain into being more optimistic. So this last section has to do with endurance. How do you sustain your new, more positive outlook when the going gets tough? How do you pick yourself up again when life knocks the wind out of you? Again, I have condensed 
<laughs> the chapters mm-hmm. into four scrolling, yes, four actionable items. I see that. Um, that we can now apply to Angela and Sarah. And Lisa has printed out a cheat sheet for me. Yes, because the one thing that Robin Roberts does very well is condense down like just common sense pieces of advice into really catchy phrases that work almost like mnemonic devices, like your tribe determines your vibe or make your mess your message or dream big, focus small. And I found myself kind of referring to these in my daily life. And I wanted to make sure that in this last session Mm -hmm. with Angela and Sarah, Mm -hmm. we have all of these tools that Robin Roberts gave us in our tool belt. Yeah, and it's been a few weeks since I've looked at this stuff, so I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're so welcome. Also, Angela is half as guardian, and tools are very important to her people. It's true. Granted, we already have 12 Robin Roberts tools in our tool belt. Like, so, like, what's four more? I mean... You always have that, like, weird swingy wrench. Yeah, Batman has shark repellent. You need a tool for everything. I save every Allen wrench I get from Ikea. I have, like, a dozen of those. You're psychotic. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. Number one, vulnerability is strength. In August 2005, Robin Roberts had just landed the gig of a lifetime, co-anchor of Good Morning America, and she was just about to go live on national TV covering the devastation of Hurricane Katrina on national television. She was stealing herself because at that time, professionalism in news broadcasting was to never show emotion. Meanwhile, just a few hours ago, she didn't know if her own mother was alive or dead. She got through most of the broadcast without breaking, then remote anchor Charlie Gibson asked about her mother and tears pricked the corners of her eyes. They're okay, she managed to answer. They're okay, he continued, because I know they're right there on the Gulf Coast. Is mom okay? Sister's okay? Then the floodgate opened and she loosed a sob. They're all right, she wept. Moments before going on air, a police escorted her to her childhood home where her mother, who was too frail to evacuate, and her sister Dorothy were safe and sound. All of the adrenaline and relief washed over her in that moment, and she lost composure, and she was afraid she lost her job. On the contrary, though, the viewers of Good Morning America rallied around her, embraced her, and embraced her hometown throughout the recovery efforts. Here's a quote. My vulnerability, the very thing I thought had just gotten me fired, had forged a connection between me and millions. I feel like this is something that Angela really needs to hear because she, as an angel, prides herself on being level-headed and emotionless. Sarah less so. She really (laughs) embraces and celebrates emotionality. Though sometimes I feel like she is using her humor and her cleverness to kind of hide how vulnerable she might feel. And also maybe to manipulate. Mm-hmm. Especially, uh, spoiler yeah, alert. In, we're going to get in into this it. Storyline. Number two, there is no such thing as going it alone. Of course, you can't talk vulnerability without bringing up former love expert on this pod, Brene Brown. Robin includes this quote from Gifts of Imperfection. One of the greatest barriers to connection is the cultural importance we place on going it alone. Somehow we equate success with not needing anyone. Mm. Many of us are willing to extend a helping hand, 
but we're very reluctant to reach out for help when we need it ourselves. It's as if we've divided the world into those who offer help and those who need help. The truth is that we're both. This played out in a very real way for Robin when she was diagnosed with MDS, myelodysplastic syndrome, a rare blood cancer. The only course of action was to get a bone marrow transplant from a match. Lucky for Robin, her sister Sally Ann was a match. When Sally Ann got her results, she stepped up enthusiastically. I don't just want to do this, baby sister. I was born to do this. As we know, Robin Roberts went on to make the mess her message, advocating for the Be The Match registry so that more people in need of bone marrow transplants can find their Sally Ann's. I feel like Angela, in the back of her mind, feels like needing Sarah is something of a failure. Mm. And Sarah delights herself in proving Angela wrong. For sure. I think it would be nice to put this insecurity to bed once and for all. Yeah, I don't know if it's gonna happen in Queen of Hell. Number three, I think it kind of does, but oh. that'll that'll come up later. Okay, all right. Number three, go beyond your comfort zone. And we are going to hell, so this, this one, I think we can <laughs> just check it off really easy. Beyond our comfort zone. When Robin Roberts was invited to host Jeopardy, after the passing of her friend Alex Trebek, she resisted. It's weird to have a punctuation right after a, a like word Jeopardy. in the middle of a sentence, <laughs> but I had to write it that way, otherwise my nerd card would be taken. She had already had one negative experience on the show as a celebrity contestant, winning a, what she called a pitiful pittance for her charity, and she was not eager to relive that humiliation. It was her girlfriend, Amber, that encouraged her, reminding her that it was not at all the same thing. This time, she'd be in the host position, not the hot seat. Robin then recalled all of the other times she had been nervous to do a gig. Her first time ever on the air on WFPR 14 Country, she had actually wet her pants. Whoa. She thinks no one noticed after she backed carefully out of the uh. room, which begs the the question, if you pee your pants and no one ever sees it, did, did it truly happen? It I think did. You, I think you're slate. <laughs> like what I imagine uh -huh. is that everybody else was just shocked to silence. Uh, you don't want to bring it up. You don't want to bring it up. <laughs> I've been around children who peed themselves and I don't bring it up. With I them. just pretend it's not happening. Yeah. Um, though, if you, if you think that, uh, um, if you wet your pants and no one ever sees it, it doesn't count. Like, you can weigh in at CBCPC Podcast. Okay. Every new benchmark met in Robin Roberts' life was preceded by a feeling of profound discomfort. But when that feeling subsided, there was only the sense of accomplishment. Okay. She ended up taking the Jeopardy gig in the spirit of celebrating Alex Trebek's legacy, and she found it really rewarding. Lisa, I don't want to call you out right now, but you removed the exclamation mark after Jeopardy in that sentence. I didn't want to stumble twice. Okay. Stumble once, shame on Jeopardy. <laughs> stumble twice, shame on me. And, but because yeah. of that, she gets to add first LGBT woman to host Jeopardy. Oh, I did include the explanation. There you go. This copy is not clean. <laughs> In the opening paragraph of her wiki page, and that's pretty cool. It's super cool. I would say that Angela and Sarah actually need to get into their comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, like, they've barely been a couple. Like, this one story, like, well, again, we're gonna have to get into it. Like, there's some retconning that goes on. Ah, uh, let's not talk about it. But, 
they've barely been a couple. And at the end of this, they do get some comfort zone. And I want more of that comfort zone for them. Mm-hmm. Number four, all of life happens in the present tense. Whenever Robin Roberts is feeling stressed or pressured, she has created a litmus test of how dire the situation really is. She asks herself, in a year or two, will this matter? Ooh, great question. Life is full of uncertainty, large and small. Following her bone marrow transplant, Robin had to spend six months in quarantine. And not cushy 16 people in a bubble, including your <laughs> softball team quarantine, but like total solitude while her immune system did a hard reset. She didn't know if she'd have a career when it was over. She didn't know how she would endure the time without Amber and the rest of her family by her side cheering her on. But she knew that if she got sick, then it could all be over. So she just faced it. One second, one minute, one day at a time. Here's a quote. In actuality, there is no future ahead of us, nor a past in our rearview mirror. There is only what you're experiencing as you read this. One moment, one breath, followed by the next. All of life happens in the present tense. A series of nows marching ever onward. How often do you say to yourself, boy, if I could go back in time mm. and tell, you know, college Brad, high school Brad, you know. You, I have, like, I just flinch my way through life. Right. I am constantly <laughs> regretting something. But, 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 you, but it, what, what I'm saying is, is often when you reflect on your past, you wish you could have said, hey, Brad, that it wasn't as big a deal as you thought it oh, was. Oh, you're comforting your yeah. person in the past? I'm shaming my yeah, person no, in the past. No, I'm doing what Robin Roberts is talking about. I love it. Asking the question, will this matter? But I often ask that question to past Brad. I don't often ask that question to present mm. Brad. And I think that's a great piece of advice from Robin Roberts. It's the Twilight pen, man. You're holding it. You're making your moment. Amen. So I should probably stop scolding my past self. Yeah, stop scolding your past self, Lisa. I feel like Angela and Sarah do a good job of staying present. They seem to always be celebrating each other, even in the tough times. Yeah, what does uh, Smart Hulk Bruce Banner say to She-Hulk in episode one of the new Disney Plus series about it being a good time and a bad time that during the blip? Yeah, I, mm -hmm. like I've been thinking about that a lot. You know, even when you're in a bad time, there are good times. It's good to remember to celebrate those good times, even in the bad time. That's right. That's right. Choose joy. Choose joy. Okay. I don't think that we can fit any more tools in this tool belt. <laughs> um, it's no longer holding my pants up. That's nope. that's for sure. I like um, it. So I think we are ready to. Oh. What? No, 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 no. You kicked off the words of affirmation and you're still going. We're doing it. <laughs> okay, this is a new type of episode. So for our first time listeners, Lisa, should we explain exactly what the words of affirmation are? The words of affirmation are a way that we give back to our new and upgrading Patreon subscribers. The intention behind them is that you hear these words, maybe you write them down on a scrap of paper or put a sticky note on your door on the way to work and use them to kind of change the way that you think, to change the way that you feel, to quote Robin Roberts. We curate and use these ourselves and we are more than happy to pass them on to you. 
These were collected from an episode of Pete Holmes' podcast, You Made It Weird. There's one from Angela, Queen of Hell. And, of course, we can't leave out Brighter by the Day. And while these words of affirmation are dedicated to these specific Patreon members for keeping this show up and running, uh, you yourself, if you're not a patron, you can still apply these words of affirmation to your daily life, to your rituals. Like Lisa said, write them on a post-it note, put them up on the mirror in your bathroom. We like doing that ourselves. Mm -hmm. So uh, take them in. And and why don't we, let's, let's get into a proper mindset right now. Mm, let's take yes. a breath. Clear those nasal passages. Ah, Steve, your life isn't about you. You are about life. The last hometown. Not everything that works helps, but everything that helps works. Jeremy, happiness is always a gamble, not a deal. Jake. All of your life is happening in the present tense. Colin. You are not either a person who offers help or a person who needs help. You are both. I really love that last one. Mm -hmm. Is that Brighter by the Day? Yeah, that is actually from the Brene Brown quote within Brighter by the Day. Yeah, that's a really good one. I, you know, like, like so often you find yourself going like, no, I can be the person who, who can help. I should be the person. We need more helpers. Look to the helpers. But sometimes you need help. And it's good to recognize when those moments happen. And it's good to have a reminder that you yourself need help routinely. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to ask. And people are excited to help you. Right. And that's something that I have to remind myself. You are not a bother to others, mm -hmm. right? You are the opposite of a bother, especially to your friends and family. So reach out when you need it. Uh, if you would like to join our Patreon uh, feed, you can do so by joining us for $1 a month. That gets you full access to all our Sandman episodes, all our bonus interviews. Check out, browse around, like we said at the beginning of this episode. Some of my favorite conversations that we have on the microphone happen over there, where we are in full sweatpants mode. Mm -hmm. It gets real loosey-goosey in the Patreon feed. I often leave those episodes feeling a little bit of a, a vulnerability <laughs> hangover. Have I shared too much? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> um, we also don't expect everyone to support us financially, and there are many other ways that you can support this podcast. You can retweet us, you can share us with your friends, and you can write us an Apple podcast review or review us anywhere. Not only does it help people find this podcast, it also feels great when we read it. Yeah, and it's been a while since we've had an Apple podcast review. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to read one on the show. And now I think it's time to bring Angela and Sarah into session, take them out of the waiting room, bring them into the love nest, get them out on the couch and have a conversation with them. I like imagining that they're taking all of their swords and just putting them <laughs> in an umbrella stand. Oh, I love that idea. Uh, so yeah, 
yes, let's journey into the Thunder World. This week we're discussing Angela, Queen of Hell, issues one through seven, written by Marguerite Bennett, illustrated by Kim Hacento and Stephanie Hans, with additional color art by Israel Silva, and lettered by VCs Clayton Cowles. These comics were published from October 2015 through April 2016, and here's the basic plot synopsis taken from Goodreads. Hell hath a new fury. She was stolen from Asgard, exiled from heaven, and robbed of her greatest companion. Now Angela plunges into the blackest depths to save Sarah. But once there, the lost princess will claim a throne of her very own. To rescue her beloved, Angela must conquer this domain and rewrite laws as old as death. All hail Angela, the new queen of hell. Not if the old queen, Hela, has anything to say about it. When Angela and Sarah come face to face at last, Will their reunion be joyous or tempestuous? Who else will join this rebellion in the underworld, Lisa? Well, I feel like that sets the stage nicely. And as Sarah's friend, Billy Shakes, would say, all the world is a stage. So I think we are ready to begin. I really appreciated how this storyline kicked off. The first page is this splash with the caption that just says, then, and we see Angela and Sarah battling some dark elves. And this was the period when Sarah was still alive before she had been killed and gone to hell. And then we turn the page, another splash, and suddenly it says, now, and Angela is already the queen of hell. Hela is at her feet. Sarah is looking victorious. We have totally subverted the expectations that we had coming off of Asgard's assassin and the side quest into the 1602 realm. And I just thought that was like a brilliant move. But then we turn the page and we get this eight months ago uh, flashback and we are going to see how Angela got to be Queen of Hell, but I kind of wish the book had just started with her as Queen of Hell and then that was the rest of the series. I feel like I would be disappointed if mm. I didn't get to see Angela go through those trials. Yeah, work maybe. Through. I, to me, I feel like she gets reunited with Sarah way too quickly. Yeah, you want the romantic quest, but I don't know. Like, I feel like I've seen a lot of romantic quests. I feel like I know how this story was going to get to Queen of Hell. I don't necessarily know what Queen of Hell was going to look like once she became Queen of Hell. But then that would be the opportunity to subvert expectations. How is she going to do it? Like, yeah. how is this hell going to be different from every other, like, Orpheus going to the center of hell to get his love? And at the end of this comic, we do get a little bit of that. But unfortunately, the comic wraps up and concludes and there's no more Angela after this. She mm -hmm. gets cast off as a supporting character, basically. Which is disappointing because we love this couple. We love their dichotomy. Sarah is the storyteller, the schmoozer, the mastermind. Angela is the strong arm. She's the level-headed. She's the warrior. Yeah, and you get done with this volume and you do want more comics with them. And hopefully, fingers crossed, someday people will listen to us and uh, kick off a new Angela and Sarah adventure. I love the idea of them uh, living in New York City. I want to see their, like, friends take. <laughs> you mean, like, the sitcom friends? Yeah, like the yeah, sitcom Yeah, they're friends. all going to Central Perk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd definitely read that. But right now, we're stuck in the romantic quest side of this storyline. And how this book kicks off is with Angela fighting her way through the mouth of hell, entering the realm. And we learn that hell operates 
on the whims of Hela. And it can be any kind of thing that Hela wants it to be at any given moment. It can be a puzzle box. It can be a collection of memories. And what we see early on is that for certain people, like the wicked, it is a punishment. For the righteous, it is a reward. But for everyone else, it's pretty chill. To me, this points to Angela's game in origins. Because yeah. to me, this is a very like Sandman interpretation yes. of hell, where hell is kind of what your expectation of it is going to be. It's kind of like what you make it. Yeah, yeah, you create your hell. But for this eight months, hell to Hella and to Angela is going to be about Angela's memories and her regrets. The way I interpret those first few pages is we see Angela looking over the landscape of hell, which is this giant maze, and then it takes us through the various wings of that maze, the east wing, the west wing, the south wing, and then we get to the north wing, and we see Hela in her throne, and I don't know if that's necessarily the center of the maze, but it's somewhere within that maze, and Angela below her in that panel is has entered her chamber. And when she enters her chamber, she's suddenly attacked by a magical blast. And then that's when the memories come about. I can see why memories would be a torture to Angela because she feels tremendously responsible for Sarah being in hell. And when we are in a negative place, we do get the sense of, Everything I have ever done has brought me to this darkness, has brought me to this terrible situation, and therefore every choice I ever made and it would end up with yeah. me here. I mean, we have to remember, this is a new revelation for Angela. She did not know that Sarah was in hell. She did not know that Freya had created a pathway where the angels, when they perish, go to hell. That's right. Angels, when they die used to have just darkness right, and right. nothingness. And so now she's realized that Sarah's been dead for a while, and while she was dead, she's being tortured in hell. And yeah, so this is a very desperate mission, and it's a mission filled with tremendous guilt and regret. And the first three memories that she is tortured with in this maze are memories that I think in other situations could actually be considered really happy mm. and warm memories. Mm. But now in hell points to these promises that Angela made to Sarah saying like, I will never see you enslaved again. I will never see you imprisoned again. The suffering that you did as an anchorite in the bowels of heaven, you will never experience again. Yeah, everything that she had with Sarah is tainted knowing that Sarah is in hell. And Angela failed her. Yeah, and in the previous two trades, the Angela storyline, Stephanie Hans has always come in to do like the B storylines. Uh, and I think that the way that they use Stephanie Hans in Queen of Hell is probably the best version of illustrating the B storylines because the B storylines in this case are the memories. So every memory is illustrated by Stephanie Hans and they have just such a dreamy, dreamy, pleasant vibe. There, there is like a gauzy quality to them that when you return to these sequences, 
you do feel like you're resting on a cloud or you're in a happy place. She is my favorite artist for Sarah because of the way that she depicts the hair. The hair is almost like the ribbons where it has this life of its own and it's taking up space and it's just giving volume to her presence. And what happens is you'll read a memory through Stephanie Hans and then you'll come out and you'll have Kim Jacinto's pencils and those pencils suddenly have uh, a heavier weight to them. And they are a little more traditionally superhero-y, but when juxtaposed against Stephanie Hans, the tactile nature of Kim Jacinto's art, it it has a heavier impact. Like when the kisses happen mm-hmm. with Kim Jacinto, like I love Stephanie Hans's kisses, but there is a, like a, a, there's a power and a relief to the Kim Jacinto kisses that aren't there in the dream and memory of Stephanie Hans. And the same goes for the action sequences. Yeah, there is an urgency. Urgency, yes. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Stephanie Hans bits have the vibe of a fairy tale, a mythology, a history, a memory. So yes, memory. So let's get into the actual contents of these. The first memory, I would say, is a fairly typical jaunt about with Angela and Sarah. It's really lovely. It's really cute. Um, They're facing off with this huge bugbear monster, and it seems to have the drop on Angela, but then Sarah comes in for the save and kind of teases Angela, like, hey, you owe me, I saved your life. And um, immediately a tentacle comes out of the ground and attacks Sarah, and Angela gets to in turn save Sarah's life. And she gets this really cute, smug look on her face, like, ha ha ha, the scales are balanced once again. The expression right there on Angela's face on the bottom of that page In that illustration from Stephanie Hans uh, rests our entire infatuation for these Mm -hmm. two as a couple. You know, with that one panel, you're like, yeah, 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 more of this. And uh, I think it also uh, is an example of what we've talked about in the past, how Angela still clings to her angelic identity. Mm. And Sarah is a lot looser, a lot more free thinking, and she likes to tease Angela. And so she kind of fetishizes that idea of like, now you owe me and I owe you. And And clearly Angela enjoys that teasing too. She does. And Sarah does end this memory by saying, like being in my debt would not be that terrible, (laughs) right? Yeah. Because in the angelic principle of nothing for nothing, having a debt to someone connects you to that person. So the ideal for angels is actually to be free of all connections and to be an individual completely. So Sarah is implying like, hey, us being connected to each other, it feels good. There's something kind of naughty about it. There's something kind of um, wanting about it. And Angela is learning how to agree with that in her way and still adhere to her upbringing. In the next memory, they are in Angela's chambers in heaven, and Sarah is working on an ode to Angela. And is there 
a more like austere form of words of affirmation than like <laughs> writing someone an ode. Not to Lisa Gullickson. Where's my ode, Brad? Uh, you did not uh, marry a songsmith, Lisa. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so Angela, though, is not, her heart is not open to words of affirmation in this moment. She seems to be in a bit of a mood because um, she was paid with money. And she doesn't find being paid for money very satisfying, which I find interesting because um, to me, I think of money as like coupons for your time. <laughs> like, so I I have sold my time to you. Now I have this token where I can then intern. But I, I guess to Angela, it's like less satisfying. She would much rather have the favor Yeah, she wants the real tangible debt. You know, money's too much of a metaphor for her. Mm -hmm, I think so. And so Sarah goes like, why can't you just enjoy being paid with riches? Like, what do you, what brings you joy? And Angela completely blanks her and just walks out of the room, not answering the question, just saying, sleep wherever you want in my chambers. Yeah, but the question does linger on Angela's brain. It must, otherwise this memory would not be here to torture her in hell. Right, but also this second memory is the only memory of these three that has like a second part. Like you turn the page and there's a caption later mm -hmm. and we see Angela by the fire sitting in what has to be the coolest couch I've ever seen, this bat-winged beauty. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And Sarah has awoken from a bad dream of being back with the anchorites, imprisoned again. And Sarah asks Angela, does anything frighten you? And Angela replies, yes, you have no idea. And my presumption is the thing that frightens her is losing Sarah. Yeah, well, yeah. and we, we, I think we can confirm that. We know that based <laughs> on the last two volumes. Uh, the third memory is my favorite memory because we are transported to the, how do you say this, Lisa? How would you pronounce that? Uh, scintillant? Yeah, the scintillant, yeah, sure. The scintillant sil... Sylvanias. Sylvanias, thank you. Uh, it's like a wooded area. Angela and Sarah are there, and they are confronted by a creature called the Hierophant. And the Hierophants are like the next tier up over the Anchorites. It's like the highest echelon. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they observe and manage all the Anchorites. And so this Hierophant has come to collect Sarah and return her back to her enslavement. And of course, Angela comes between the Hierophant and Sarah, but the way that the Hierophant entices Angela to giving Sarah over is saying like, why are you still hanging out with this woman? Any debt that you owed her for helping you defeat that beast in the realm of the Anchorites is like paid up. You owe her nothing. So, like... There so, must be something else going on here. Exactly. And Angela seems to go into a, a bit of a trance in that moment. And then uh, the Hierophant says, like, okay, how about this? If you give me Sarah, I will tell you where your mother L'Oreal is. And L'Oreal is the angel that raised Angela in heaven. And... Angela refuses and uh, defeats, the Hierophant disappears. And then Sarah is like, why didn't you hand me over 
we could have found out where your mother is and then we could have just escaped again. <laughs> and Angela does a like a statement of priorities and says like, my number one priority is that you are never imprisoned again. Yeah, so romantic, so romantic. And of course, we know that this memory is happening while Sarah is imprisoned in hell. Right, so this is why it is torturing Angela because Angela has gone back on her vow, and actually, as the Hierophant is disappearing, um, the, the Hierophant is cursing them, saying, saying, may all your vows be broken, little Angela. Yeah, yeah, and so, okay, so all that misery happens, right? Uh, but if we're still in this memory, like the last bit of torture in this memory, like the turn of the knife in this memory is Sarah and Angela coming together on a nearly wordless page uh, and you have in the center of this page a long splash of Angela and Sarah embracing each other. And that image is so powerful and so beautiful. And again, it's like that smug expression in the first memory. When you look at that smug expression from Angela and you're like, yes, I want these two as a couple. They work so well as a couple. And then here is them embraced um, fully formed as a couple. This is victory, but it's a victory of the past that is long gone. And man, does that, that really heightens the stakes, but it just digs the claws into Angela. It's so painful in its beauty. I didn't notice in my first and second reading, but I notice it now. There is someone hiding in the woods watching them. Yeah, I also didn't notice that. Is that Malekith? No, I think it's Leah because oh, we find out yeah. later that it is not Hella that is giving Angela this set of memories. It is Leah, Hella's handmaiden. Oh, that could be, that could be. Huh, 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 huh. I would love to hear listeners take on that little spy down there because I'm zooming in on the panel right now. It's it, very it's, abstract. Yeah, but but like, like yeah, I mean it could be Leah, it could be Malekith, uh, but Leah makes more sense probably. When Angela shakes off these memories and comes to, she immediately goes like, "Enough! Any price you ask, but enough." Which I'm like, this is your first set of memories in hell, and you're ready <laughs> already to like just completely turn it you over. You got a long way to go. Uh, but right after that, she does run right into Sarah's cell and finds her. She and, finds her because Sarah is singing their song. Yes, Scarborough yes. Fair. Yes, uh, and, and Angela gets her out of the jail cell and it's a reunion and you get another, and this one's a full splash page, uh, a makeout session. You get another embrace and kiss, but Kim Jacinto illustrates this kiss very differently than the kiss we saw in the memory via Stephanie Hans. And if you look at it, like the first time I saw it, I was like, yes, awesome. They're back. Let's go. Queen of hell time. But if you look at it on the second pass, uh, Sarah's expression in that kiss, even though they are lip locked, Sarah does not look like in a state of bliss in any way. She is furrowing her brow. And when you turn the page, Sarah is angry and she lashes out with magic and is 
yelling at Angela saying, you knew my greatest fear was that I would be imprisoned again and this time you wouldn't come for me. And I'm like, Sarah, she is right there. She like- And she didn't know? She didn't know about the hell angel thing? It seems so unfair. I know what it's like sometimes when- Well, it is unfair. It is unfair. Like Sarah should not be imprisoned. Yeah, yeah. But I know what it's like sometimes when you like, have a discomfort, have a resentment, and you bottle it up mm. and you keep it inside you. Yeah, then you pop. And then like <laughs> after after the fact, you pop that resentment open and go like, you know, I was mad at you on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, so. I'm very well aware of this, Lisa. <laughs> uh, but this issue ends with a divide between Angela and Sarah. And I think when I got to this issue and this issue ended this way, despite the second page saying like, Queen of Hell is coming, you know, Hell is gonna be dethroned. I hit this page and now I'm like, okay, maybe I am into the idea of seeing how we got to that second page in the first issue because some stuff does need to occur on this journey to taking over hell between Angela and Sarah. The next issue opens with Sarah running a major guilt trip on Angela and also zapping her with glowy hands yep. to the point where Angela is now groveling and embracing her like the way that a child embraces their mother, just like, around the waist. I didn't know. And 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 shouting, "I'm sorry, I'm so sorry." And then Tr Sarah then says, "Like we need to strike a deal right now that you will help me escape by doing my plan, which is for you to become the queen of hell." And then they shake on it. And to me, I feel like maybe Sarah has been hanging out with Malekith too much. Yeah. This whole thing feels super manipulative. Yeah, well, hanging out with Malekith, yes. Also, uh, rotting in hell, Lisa. <laughs> uh, like, I, I understand that hell changes a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but to me, this doesn't feel like Sarah. I agree, but I think that it is a growth that occurs over the course of these seven issues. It is a healing process. These trials become a healing process for both of them. Yeah, I, I feel like Sarah, even though she intellectually understands, like, we didn't know that hell was here. Like, you didn't intend for me to die. Like, I think that the, it was just a major betrayal of trust yeah, for yeah. Sarah to end up in hell. Yeah, it's problematic, but not as problematic or weird as the revelation that we get on the heels of this reunion. We learn a massive revelation that is a huge retcon of Angela's Asgard's assassin. Mm -hmm. In that book, part one in this trilogy, we learned that the Sarah of that book was actually Malekith, who had been observing Sarah in hell, took her form, and was masquerading as Sarah. However, we learn in Queen of Hell right here that Malekith was wearing a magic ring that connected himself with Sarah, and therefore everything that the Malekith Sarah was saying in Asgard's Assassin was actually being spoken by Sarah. So the relationship that we had in Asgard's Assassin was indeed the actual relationship between Angela and Sarah, even if that Sarah was 
being worn by Malekith. So for me, that <laughs> majorly like undercuts Angela's uncanny feeling that she was not communicating with her lover. Like I can understand going like, this doesn't feel like my girlfriend's body. Like, you know, like, but uh, like a body is just a vessel. Like, I feel like if someone was perfectly imitating your form and then it was actually you speaking through that, I don't think I, I think would be able to tell. I think there might be some like, uh, some message lost in the translation there, Lisa. I think what's more important about this retcon is the fact that because this is the end of this series and Marvel basically breaks these two up, we'll get into it later, breaks these two up after Queen of Hell, there are only three storylines with Angela and Sarah as characters and I like now going back and reading Asgard's assassin, knowing that that Sarah is our Sarah, at least we have more stories of these two as a couple. And yes, it's weird and awkward and strange. Oh, you mean it's like a comic book? You know, like it, it works for me. But here's where for me, it falls apart a little bit is like Angela goes like, why didn't you just tell me? Why didn't you tell me yeah. that your body was in hell? And Sarah replies like, well, I was testing you. you it, we, if our love is true, you should have just known. Uh, it's, oh, it's, it's shaky, okay? Like, it's shaky. Like the number one error in miscommunication in relationships is the expectation that your lover can read your mind. I think all we're, we're proving here is that in the first volume, they weren't complete yet. You know, they still had this massive journey to go on to become a more functioning couple. And we get there, we get there eventually. And yes, it's a very weird retcon. It's a very comic booky retcon. But I do like to say now that it, it feels good to say we have a trilogy of Angela and Sarah books. Whereas if you go back and listen to our episode on Asgard's assassin, you know, we, we had this very weird conversation about like, well, we're just going to have to accept that this Sarah is Malekith, but we're going to treat them as if they are a couple. And now we can go back in time and we could actually just edit out that whole like preamble to our first episode. So um, on the record, Brad is very pro retcon. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I'm pro retcon. You know I'm pro retcon. All right, one more day. I love it. Uh, I, so let me continue yeah, then. Okay, 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 okay. So they have the conversation <laughs> of like, I was just testing you and you should have known. And now we have this huge betrayal of trust. And Sarah goes like, you knew that wasn't me. And yet you waited a long time to come and get me. Therefore, I believe that things have changed between us and that our relationship might not exist anymore, but let's put a pin in that uh -huh. and we'll discuss it once you get me out of hell. <laughs> so she like doubles down Fair. on like, hey, if you still wanna be with me, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, get me out of hell and then we can talk about it. I'm okay with it. There is also one more outstanding thing that I'm just going to say right now does not get resolved. And that is Sarah, Sarah asks, hey, did um, Malachi, give you my ring back? And Angela is like, what ring? And she's like, mm. you know, the ring that connected me to Malekith and Malekith to me? Like, did he give you that? And Angela is like, nah. Mm. And Sarah's like, ooh, that's something we'll have to worry about later. Mm. So this, the ring is still out there. Mm. This is not resolved mm -hmm. in this run. So Sarah can be Malekith and Malekith 
can be Sarah, I guess, at literally any time. I, we, so we were talking about this off mic the other day, and you had this idea, if we were going to bring Sarah and Angela back together again in the Marvel Comics universe after Bendis and Cullen Bunn broke them up, you could use the ring. That Like, if I got... Uh, if, if Lisa I was Gullickson. given the Twilight pen yeah. and I got to write my run of Angela and Sarah, yes, the ring would be the device that brings Angela and Sarah back together. Yeah, I like that. I like that, Lisa. I, yeah, and, and yeah, and, and I kind of like that it's floating out there still. Like, that is a breadcrumb that uh, Bennett has left for somebody else to pick up. And maybe that somebody else is Lisa Gullickson. <laughs> I wish. The second issue concludes with the first trial, which is a trial of fear. And in this trial of fear, Hella implies that Sarah died because Angela brought her along on her questing. And so Angela is to blame for the death of Sarah. And the way that Angela defeats her fear is like, well, I've already lost Sarah once. She has already died once. I have faced my biggest fear. Therefore, I am not afraid of anything. And she comes out of that trial victorious with some new duds. Be ready for your suddenly. But also, last page, that's when we see that Leah is still around. And Leah is a really complicated character. Mm -hmm. A character we first discussed on this show when we did our Loki and Loki session using Journey into Mystery. Link in the show notes. Uh, and she was created by Loki using the Twilight pen. But when he created her history, he didn't write a lot. He wrote all that he needed. And so over time, in her quest to write her own uh, present, uh, she became resentful of Loki. And just, just listen to our episode. We get into all of that. Now, this Leah might not be that Leah. It has something to do with Young Avengers in the Multiverse, I believe. But this Leah is actually a version of Hela or like a piece of Hela, the hand of Hela. At some point, Hela had her hand severed and that hand was turned into Leah. The way that Sarah describes it is Hella's chopped off, anthropomorphized hand turned handmaiden. Heck yeah, I love comics. But Angela does not at first sight love Leah. The way that Sarah introduces Leah to Angela is like, hey, I was in hell a long time and I have needs. And I, the way I read it is like sexual needs. Yep. Like she needed a lover while Angela was away. And Angela doesn't seem to be open to opening up their relationship. No. Um, I interpret Angela as like a demisexual. Like she needs that romance there. And I think the idea of being so easily replaced because of context is threatening to her. Of course, yeah, yeah, I understand that. And Sarah goes on to describe how she used the imprint of Hella's slap on her face to bring Leah to her because she needed to ask for help. She needed help to bring Angela to hell. And now that Leah is in love with her, she has all of the help that she needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when they finally come together, when they get through that conversation and that awkwardness and we get that splash page 
where we have Sarah and she's got those psychic swords over her head. Angela's got her broadsword whipped out. Uh, Leah has her two twin blades. And then the armies of hell are encroaching on them. That splash page, that's the real Warriors 3 Marvel. Give me that <laughs> comic. Reboot the Warriors 3 with these three. Yes, I can't help but look at that picture though and really empathize with Angela and the awkward place that Sarah has put her in. Sure. Saying like, okay, you want to reestablish a relationship with me? Get me to hell. And actually you have a little competition, so get moving. But th this, this is comics, this is so good. That's what you want, give me this Warrior 3 book. But to relate it back to our love expert, Robin Roberts, there is no such thing as going it alone. Right. Sarah was stuck in her cell and she needed help, so she called for help. Look for at her. you. I almost completely forgot about our uh, love expert in the moment, and I also forgot about my packet here, this worksheet that you gave me. But if you look at the worksheet, Lisa, like this moment, this could be a make your one day your day one. Yeah, they're getting it done. They're yeah. not taking a little restaroo no, before they defeat no. hell. Yeah. Or yeah. conquer hell, I guess. Yeah, and so this is them envisioning their victory. Right? Mm -hmm. I could read from this packet. Look at you go. I'm so <laughs> proud. Oh my goodness. In this issue, Angela also faces her second trial, which is a trial of chaos, which appears as an enormous whirlwind. And Leah explains that in this trial, Hella is going to choose one memory to take out of their brains and they'll just either be the same person that they are today or not, right. and they don't get to choose which one. Yeah, and uh, Angela's memory is a moment in which she uh, attacked and faced her, I guess you'd call her family bully, mm -hmm. right? Marison. Marison, and killed Marison in the process. Yes. And Sarah's memory is uh, a moment in which she killed a Hierophant. Yeah, a Hierophant was disciplining her for spying on the furnace yeah. and she's um and the hierophant is going to kill Sarah. So Sarah's first kill is in self-defense where Angela's first kill is something out of anger. Right, right. And and, and you know, you, they get through this trial and those memories are gone. And they are, they look at each other and they go like which one did you lose? I don't know, which one did I lose? But conveniently, it does set up who Marison is, because after that trial, they run into a gang of angels in hell, and the leader of that group is Marison. Yeah, and um, and uh, Marison seems to not like Angela no. so much, and Angela no. has no idea why. <laughs> um, it, also, in that trial, we get to see that Angela and Sarah even though their, their origin stories were very different, they went on a very similar emotional journey. They both felt very different. Yeah, and the panel of, the, the final panel of that memory, of those lost memories, is the melding of Angela and Sarah's face. It really communicates like, you know, these people have been on a similar path for a long time, since the beginning of their lives. Do you know what's weird though, is a lot of these trials seem to be trials for Sarah as well. And so how come they don't get to be co-queens of hell? Sarah doesn't want to be a queen. Like Sarah wants Angela to be the queen. She likes, I like like you said, Sarah's a little bit more of a puppet master. Mm, yes, she likes to be second in command. Yeah. All of the control, none of the responsibility. We all know that Riker was really running that ship, right? Mm -hmm. The Enterprise. Yep, number one. Number one is number one. <laughs> Oh, 
man, we're going to get some angry Picard fans out here. But the issue ends with Angela defeating Marison, getting her to yield. And in doing so, the angels of hell rally behind Angela and Sarah. And just in the nick of time, because Angela's biological brothers, not you know, Thor is a half-brother. You know, Balder and Tyr, they are the children of Freya and Odin. And they are also in hell. And they are... Uh, they, they are taking orders from Hela, and now it's a battle with them. Plus, also, Scourge the Executioner shows up. That's always nice. Always like to see that guy. But lucky for Angela and Sarah, they literally just made an army out of the <laughs> previously enslaved angels. So, like, they, they can go up and skip on to trial number three while Marison and the angel army faces a score of the undead and Balder and Tyr and Scourge. And Boar. Boar shows up. Odin's dad. So this is a massive family squabble in hell before we get to that trial. Oh, also, Angela asks Marison to find her mom in hell, find L'Oreal, the angel who raised her. This also doesn't get resolved because she's not down there. Yeah, more story potential for Lisa Gullickson to write. Hey, Marvel, stop clamoring down my door trying to get me to write stuff. Okay, so finally, the third trial is pain. And Hela shows Angela alternative memories, alternative pasts, and shows her what it would be like if she and Sarah had never met. And it turns out that Angela would become embittered and violent and worse and Sarah, <laughs> more violent, more violent. <laughs> and Sarah would actually still become her true self and still defeat the Hierophants and and would eventually free the Anchorites. But they would come together and Angela would slay Sarah. That's right. And Hella puts a button on it by talking specifically to Sarah saying, you would have always saved yourself, saved your kind. Angela always needed you but you have not needed her. Your story, Sarah, was always going to end in death. The implication being, and that death was always going to be Angela's fault. So no matter what, you would cease to exist. And Sarah, knowing fully that her brethren, the Anchorites are still enslaved in heaven, still chooses her life with Angela, rather than this alternative past or choosing to be angry about this alternative past, which I think is kind of her embracing like that all of life happens in the present and the rewards for, for being in this rela romantic relationship with Angela are still so much greater than this I guess kind of still hypothetical, but very possibly true past that doesn't exist, that never existed. Confusing comics. What I love about this moment is that when they come out of this false memory, it's Leah narrating the experience to them. You know, she says, your story was always going to end in death. And it did, but death has never been able to contain you. Angela may have come to hell to rescue you, but yours was the choice, Sarah. Yours was the beginning. You chose to look. You chose to see and know. You chose to defy the laws of the life which mere chance had given you. And that's when Sarah says, 
I choose Angela. I choose Angela. A hundred thousand times, I choose you. And again, we get a great panel of them embracing and kissing. And now this is this is the kiss that we were expecting out of the jail cell, right? And behind them are the armies of the damned angels just proclaiming all hail, all hail the hunter queen, all hail the hunter queens. It's so good. And for me, this is the the resolution of Sarah's bitterness, of her saying like, once you get me out of hell and once you end this nightmare that I've been living, then we can reevaluate where our relationship is. I think that seeing this alternative past and still choosing Angela as her saying, our love is true, our love is solid, and Leah is just a side piece. <laughs> and of course, this is the moment when Hella shows up, right, with the Hell Wolf, and it's time for the showdown in Hell. But by doing all of these three trials, now Angela has the powers of these three things, um, fear, chaos, and pain. Yeah, ugh. It's so good. This is such a great conclusion. I'm so glad that we didn't miss any of this stuff, Lisa, even though I was kind of sad that it didn't subvert expectations with that second page on the first issue. And most of this issue here is the fight with Hela's armies and the defeat of Hela. Um, but, but I just want to get to the defeat of Hela. Like, when she defeats Hela, uh, it's Sarah who picks up Hela's crown and lifts it and presents it to Angela. And it's like, what, let's see, like this page here is, you got three horizontal panels of Sarah picking up the, the, the crown. And then there's a elongated panel with Sarah lifting the crown skyward to the heavens beyond the roof of hell. And then you have this silhouette the final panel of the crown being slowly placed upon Angela's head. And then the next page, which is my favorite page of the entire book, uh, and it is the page that makes up the cover art for this episode, it is done with Stephanie Hans's art. And we see now Angela, Queen of Hell, Sarah by her side, Thori in her uh, lap, getting some scratches and scruffs, <laughs> uh, Leah off to the side, Hella in chains, and then the crowd proclaiming all hail the Queen of Hell. Why do you think this page is suddenly illustrated by Stephanie Hans? So there are two answers. Because if I was Stephanie Hans, I would want to paint <laughs> a cool page like this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, I feel like these are the moments when Angela is now living in her present and observing her present and realizing what a dream her present is. Yeah, I just read the book, and we actually, we talked about this, uh, Into the Blue. Uh, mm -hmm. We interviewed Dave Chisholm about Into the Blue. And part of Into the Blue is about a jazz musician who is learning to enter the blue, enter the perfect moment. When you're performing on stage, when you are living the moment. You you're in the zone. Yeah, you're in the zone. You transcend your current time and space and you go to this metaphysical realm. Like, I feel like this is the case here. And it happens a couple times in this issue. And actually, 
when she's crowned the queen of hell. That's not the first time that Stephanie Hans illustrates in this issue. The first time she illustrates in this issue is when Angela makes the first strike against Hela. We get that splash page illustrated by Hans. Then we get the queen of hell page. And then a couple pages after that, we have Angela removing the crown uh, and, and, dethroning herself and giving the crown to Balder. And that page is illustrated by Stephanie Hans. And then the final page, actually, no, there's a page before that. There's another embrace between Angela and Sarah illustrated by Stephanie Hans. And then the final page of that issue is them leaving hell, going off to more adventures. And that one is illustrated by Stephanie Hans. And I like your interpretation. Like those are the moments in this book where, you know, they are, in the zone of their relationship. Angela does check a few things off of her list before she abdicates and makes Balder the regent of hell. She first frees the angels, making the previous wing where they were enslaved into a resting place for them called Elysium. So yeah. they have like a little like piece of heaven right there in hell Love just it. for the angels. Then she frees Leah and then finally she says, and now Sarah lives. Sarah is no longer dead and in hell. Then she abdicates the crown. Oh, and even before doing that, she says that Hella might be able to get the crown back. <laughs> She's like a if Hella, <laughs> if Hella, you know, behaves, if Hella behaves, she can be queen of hell again, which does go back to our packet, oh. brighter by the day, uh, the chapter lighter by the day, when Robin Roberts talks about lightening your heart by practicing radical forgiveness. Mm. And that's what Angela is doing here. Of course, she's still Angela. You know, she does threaten Hela. She does warn her. She says something along the lines of, you know, everything I did here, I did out of love. Can you imagine what I would do out of hatred? Mm -hmm. So, you know, Hela, uh, watch your back. She's going to be on, uh, on her heels. Right after abdicating, Sarah is like, so, like, what are we going to do now as queens in absentia? And Angela is like, Let's actually settle down and live our happy existence together. And Sarah loves the idea. And they make their one day, their day one, and they go directly from hell to the Brooklyn Ikea to buy some <laughs> bookshelves, which is exactly what me and Brad would do. <laughs> that is true. Uh, also, it is a hell on earth, the the Ikea. Um, I don't really have like a ton to say about the issues that follow the main storyline. There's a lot of good stuff there, uh, but it also feels like they've got to wrap up so quickly. And, you know, Margaret Bennett has so much to say about these two before Marvel closes the gates on this comic book series. But I feel like what this team is doing is really establishing that Angela and Sarah are together somewhere, loving each other and taking care of some unfinished business. So there is one scene where Leah has just struck out on her own in a red convertible trying to live her life now as just like a like a 
person, like not like an extension of some lady's hand. A dog owner. Yeah, She's dog owner. Thory. She's got Thory. I think that's so fun. Um, but then Angela and Sarah are sitting on the Brooklyn Bridge, and they begin to make a plan, and um, which relates to referring to the packet, um, dreaming big and focusing small. Like, they do want to live their best life together, but let's bullet point some of the things that we need to get done. Let's write some stuff down. So the first thing they say they got to do is find L'Oreal. Angela wants to find her mother. Then they got to locate the lost furnace of the Hierophants. I didn't even know it was missing. <laughs> and then they still want to free the Anchorites. And now also they have to be able to afford rent in Brooklyn. Questing has to happen. Bounty hunting has to happen. So it's not like they're retiring. No from being badass Marvel women. And they do have to clean up their mess from the Secret Wars 1602 event. Mm -hmm. uh, when Battle World deteriorated and the multiverse came back, the Faustian queen from the last storyline is somehow left behind in the 616 universe and is causing all kinds of chaos in the New York region. And that's when the mighty Thor joins them to take care of this. Now, what I love about that conflict is to resolve it, Leah promises to give the Faustian queen their Sarah if they can live out seven more years. And in the final issue of this book, we do get to watch seven years of Angela and Sarah and Leah together in some form and grow and have a full life, or at least a full seven years. And then... When it's time to make good on that deal, Leah sends the Faustian queen to Elysium where there is a Sarah because Sarah is an angel and she did die. So, and once and you die, you're, you you're in uh, the afterlife kind of timelessly. Yeah, like a, a shadow of you exists there, which by the way, is a plot point in Into the Blue. Once you enter the blue, you leave a piece of yourself. Oh, so that makes sense. You can always go back and visit that version. Like, it's funny because if that logic works, shouldn't there be a version of every person out there? Like, yes. in, yeah. in the afterlife? Yeah, there's lots of story potential there, Lisa, that for you to carry on <laughs> in your Angela and Sarah series. This run does end with a semi-satisfying wedding of sorts between Angela and Sarah on the Brooklyn Bridge. After listing off all of those things, they still got to do find L'Oreal, find that furnace, free the anchorites. Angela says, like, let's start small. Let's make a deal. And Angela says, I will love you and I will stay with you and I will support and defend you for as long as you will have me because you are the thing that I love completely and you you love me and stay with me and support and care for me for as long as you will have me because I am the thing that you love completely. Tell me, Sarah of New York City, do we have a deal? I'm getting choked up. <laughs> um, and Sarah looks at her and says, Angela, deal. 
And then we get that nice little scroll of with much love, Team Angela. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's a it is a satisfying conclusion. I don't know if I love the last batch of itch issues as much as I love the first batch of issues of Queen of Hell, but I do think that knowing this th- that this series was going to end and had to end, they did a bang up job of giving them a life together and a possibility of a future together. The idea that, you know, they are still existing. Right. And so if these are the only Angela and Sarah comics, I think this trilogy is a satisfying one. And in a lot of ways, I wish this was the last appearance of Angela and Sarah because when Angela joins up with the Guardians of the Galaxy comic again, written by Brian Michael Bendis, she returns to her Brooklyn apartment and does not find Sarah there. Sarah has vanished, and in her place is some guy in a Fantastic Four t-shirt, this fanboy, and he has no idea where Sarah has gone. Sarah left no forwarding address, and that's effectively how they were broken up. Now, Angela and Sarah do reunite in the Cullen Bunn written series as Guardians of the Galaxy, where Sarah has become a ravager and her time as a ravager has changed her and she likes what she's doing with the ravagers and she doesn't really feel invested in Angela anymore and they just part ways amicably and F that. Yeah, that's Screw terrible. that big, di- big time. I have no idea why you would take a couple as unique as Angela and Sarah. Like, there's no other couple in comics like them right now. Marvel has, like, a real gift here, and they just toss it away? What a boneheaded move. It's so aggravating. Which is why I am certain that Sarah is enslaved somewhere by Malekith because of that ring. I love it. Let's write that comic on spec, Lisa. Oh, sure. (laughs) And I'm sure Marvel will publish it, no problem. Kickstarter? More like kick harder, (laughs) Marvel. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Lisa. Yes? So looking at the whole of the Angela and Sarah relationship, I think we both safely can say that we love them as a couple and we want more comics with them. Yes, please. Um, We should also mention that we owe a very special thank you to our friends and listeners, Mm. Jamie and Max, for continually pinching us until we finally had Angela and Sarah on our couch because we have had the best time with them. Yes, so uh, Max and Jamie have been begging for Angela and Sarah episodes for about two years, maybe even three years, and we finally got to them, and we shouldn't have waited this long. We've had the best time. It's been so good. It's been so good. But Lisa, what are you pulling out of their relationship, as well as our discussion around Robin Roberts and Brighter by the Day that you're applying to your own life. Ooh, we're in the reflection time? I think so. For me, the overall message I take from observing and working with Angela and Sarah is actually a message that we got from a different love expert, Esther Perel. That idea of like, when you're in a couple, you have to celebrate your differences as much as your oneness, that mm. it's important, like, that that um, for a lasting relationship, there has to be a coming apart and coming together. And Angela and Sarah are always celebrating 
the ways that they're different, that's, that they don't have identical principles all of the time and that they don't have the same skill sets. They are actually always curious about each other. Um, another thing that I take away from this storyline in particular is that when we're in a bad place, when we're in a personal hell, we do look back at our memories and use that as a way to torture ourselves, saying, what about my past created this present that I hate so much? Clearly, I've made a ton of blunders and mistakes mm. and errors. Otherwise, I wouldn't feel the way that I feel today. And as a person with like an anxiety disorder and, you know, a moon cycle, you know, there are always three days out of the month where I feel like mm -hmm. everything I've done up until now was a mistake <laughs> and I am living like an alternate reality where I am just this total and utter failure. Mm. And I think that it's important to remember that um, our present is something that is wholly separate yeah. to our past. Yeah. And, and we need to, like, one thing that initially bothered me about Robin Roberts' book that I think now, having read the entire thing, I'm like, oh, maybe that's not a bug, that's a feature, is that, like, Robin Roberts recontextualizes all of her stumbles in her life in the context of that that choice that I made to delay working for ESPN or take the smaller job or, you know, whatever. All of those choices that I made was a straight shot to my success that I have and today. That's what you see in Queen of Hell, right? That like going through all those memories, like all those regrets, all those things brought them to this moment. Yeah, like, like, so Robin Roberts is looking back at her life now as a tremendously successful person and going like, all of those trials I went through made this success. I think that we should all figure out, like we should all look back, we should all look at our life story as a triumph story, as a victory story, a success story. Well, uh, you know, because it is all a matter of perspective anyway. With that in mind, I think back to my early 20s when I graduated college with an uh, English major and mm -hmm. going like, what am I going to do with this thing? And, and I taught middle school for a little while. You know, I did some substitute teaching. It was not very fulfilling. And then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And I'm wandering around aimlessly. And I take a job semi-randomly at Barnes & Noble in Reston, Virginia. And in taking that, you know, minimum wage job, uh, as a college graduate uh, who had just stopped teaching and going like, okay, well, I guess I'm, I'm going to be a bargain lead, whatever the hell that is. Mm -hmm. And in taking that job, that put me on the path to meeting you. Mm -hmm. That's where we would get together. And, you know, everything changes from that moment. And so like all these insecurities, this like moment of great, uh, confusion was essential to bringing us together. And I'm so grateful for my past failings to get me to that place. And what I like to think is I am going to encounter more 
tumultuous time, right? And and in our relationship, in our marriage, we've encountered tumultuous times and confusion and like, I don't know, what, what are we going to do? Do I stay here? Do I get a new job? Da, 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 da. Um, and it, it's nice to think about when you're living the tension and the fear and the unknown, there is the safety of knowing that you're here now and you survived stuff already. Mm. So most likely whatever you're going through, you're going to survive, right? Right. Like it goes back to the three the three trials that Angela and Sarah faced in hell, fear, chaos, yeah. and pain. And those are the three things that do send us back into the past. Like, you know, like... Um, your past creates those paranoias that creates fear. And there is this element of chaos in our lives that that make us feel like, oh, I'm not in control. Like I'm not in control of my life. And um, and pain makes us, you know, pain makes us uh, question our decisions. So I think that as long as you are standing on your present and thinking of it as a precipice, as opposed to like, oh, I'm clearly like I, I guess I, I guess wherever you're standing from in your present, like you have to look at your past and go like, um, that's separate. Mm, mm, yeah. Uh, now for me with Robin Roberts, I think that brighter by the day, just looking at this worksheet that you printed out for me. It gives me a vocabulary like so many of these books do that I can fall back on. And I love so many of these little phrases that Robin Roberts came up with. You know, choose joy, uh, make your one day your day one, dream big, focus small, when fear knocks, let faith answer. Um, get ready for your suddenly. Mm -hmm. I, I really like the idea of get ready for your suddenly in terms of relationships, thinking about it with Angela and Sarah, Angela ha is a very principled person and was raised with a very strict set of rules and adhered to them. And Sarah challenged those rules. And Angela had to get ready for her suddenly by realizing that she could adapt those rules or mold those rules a little bit and, you know, uh, allow for Sarah to come into her life and be a part of her life, even if a lot of Sarah's point of view, perspective, philosophy contradicted Angela's. She recognized there was something there, something beneficial, something additional that would be good for her. And even if you don't necessarily think of coupling as a choice initially, it is a choice and it's a choice you have to do multiple times. Like you do have to like, no, I choose Lisa. I mm. choose Lisa. It's a practice also to stay in a relationship. You have to continue to choose your partner. I love that. Also thinking back about Angela and Sarah being shown this alternate reality where they don't get together. Like to me, that's hella pointing out like life is full of inevitabilities. Mm. Like every one of our stories, even you listening, all of our stories are going to end the same way. They're all going to end in death. But us being in a relationship, Brad and I being together, Angela and Sarah being together, like that was not an inevitability. We had to meet each other, <laughs> date, and then 
choose each other. I had to spiral into uh, mid-20s despair and wind up in Barnes & Noble. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. A lot of mistakes and accidents and foibles and choices put us here in our present. So respect your past, even if that past is filled with a bunch of regrets and choices that you thought at the time were bad choices. But also respect your present, because Mm. think of all of the million, billion things that had to happen and come together to make the moment that you're in right now. And you're going to ignore it and spend it living in the past or worrying about the future when you are right now living in a Stephanie Hans dreamy (laughs) gift of right now? Preach, Lisa. I love that so much. Although all that being said, we now have to disrespect this moment and talk about our future. Well, we do have to be ready for our suddenly. And suddenly it's going to be time to release another episode. Yeah, yeah. And that episode is going to have Andre Lima Arujo and Brian Michael Bendis on it. That is our next episode. It's a creator corner talking with these two about their new book from Abrams Comics Arts, Phenomena, The Golden City of Eyes. And if you have ever read an Andre Lima Arujo book, like The Righteous Thirst of Vengeance, you know that he provides some crazy, insane, detailed art. And his book with Bendis, Phenomena, young adult book, um, I think it's his best stuff that he's ever done. It's black and white. It is pristine. It's gorgeous. And he says in the interview, I guess spoilers, that in collaborating with Brian Michael Bendis, he got to draw pretty much what his heart wanted to draw. (laughs) Yeah. And we've read, Lisa and I, a lot of Brian Michael Bendis comics. And this is unlike anything we've seen from Bendis. It's a really interesting story. And it's going to be three parts over the next three years. This is the first part. Get excited about it. Join us next week for this conversation. It's a real wild chat. Um, You get to hear me fangirl over Brian Michael Bendis. And you get to hear Brian Michael Bendis fangirl over Andre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're, well, just, yeah, I, I don't I, I want to spoil so much about that chat, uh, but I'm not. I'm going to stop. I'm gonna resist it. And Let's then, respect the moment. Respect the moment where uh, Brian Michael Bendis is both in our past because we've already recorded the uh, this interview yeah. and in the future. Love it. Love it, Lisa. That's a great uh, uh, way to tr- transition into our next session series. Mm-hmm. Our fall session series is going to be something a little bit different for comic book couples counseling. It's not going to be romantic relationships. We're going to celebrate sibling relationships. And we're going to be talking siblings by using, get ready, the teenage, mutant, ninja, Turtles, four episodes covering the brothers. So excited. Heroes in a half shell. Turtle, Turtle power. power. Okay, Brad, uh, we got to bust out the Allen wrenches because I got myself a new bed couch from Ikea. Oh, no. I love putting together Ikea furniture. I- Hate it. Would you say it's your personal hell, Brad? Yes, I would. In the meantime, where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at Mouthdork. You can ask me why I didn't ask Brian Michael Bendis any questions about Angela and how he ruined her relationship with Sarah. I'm sorry, but you can ask me why I didn't do that. 
at mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I only accept on Twitter words of affirmation. You can send them at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. So much Sandman right now. Get mm-hmm. on it. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. I feel like I've screamed my way <laughs> through this entire episode. For some reason, like, uh, Angela and Sarah just wind me up. I like it. I, I was just doing my Micro Machines Man voice. Oh. <laughs> nice. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, if you'd like to. No, I've already said that. <laughs> Until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. That's a really good Micro Machines, man. Thank you. Micro Machines Man. <laughs> yeah, Micro Machines Man. Yeah, okay. Who do you think, don't you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but I for a second it sounded weird, Micro Machines Man. Yeah, that's, he's the but Micro that, Machines that's Man. that's what he is.